We're going to Luke 16, 14 through 17 today. And I'm excited about today because I'm excited all the time about preaching. It's my favorite thing to do. This last week, I'm going to embarrass my son. This last week, um, Caleb and I got in an argument. Now, Caleb, Bart- Caleb Bartosh and I should get in arguments every single time we talk to each other. Because he doesn't listen. But that goes to this point. It might be something genetic with Caleb's because Caleb Faisal doesn't listen either. And so if you're a Caleb and you're struggling with listening, it's part of your DNA and it's okay. The other parts of Caleb's and their DNA is that they talk over people. And then they accuse others of not listening to them. You're laughing because it sounds so familiar. So... Caleb, Faisal, and I, we, we've had, a, had a, uh, an argument this week, just maybe a two-week argument, which is continuing to kind of spur, right? And the reason, the reason we have an argument is because I feel like I'm telling him complete truth and that he should abide by the truth that I tell him. And he, on the other side, is going, boy, that's not the truth that I live by. And somewhere right there in the middle is where the argument takes place. And now, this is familiar for everybody's arguments, right? But when you're the father, your truth is bigger and heavier and stronger and comes sometimes with a spanking. Although, I didn't spank Caleb this week. But you, you understand, like, there's, we have this tension. I spanked Caleb Bartosh this week. <laughs> but <laughs> you guys are all mentally thinking about, like, could he actually put him over his knee and swat him that way? I can, I assure you, I have dad strength. You know what dad strength is, everybody? We have dad strength, dad speed, dad power, dad intelligence, dad everything. We're, we're like supermen, and we can just do it faster, stronger, quicker, and way better than our little ones. But anyway, the point is, is, is there's, a, there's a tension and an argument, and, and Caleb, whom I love dearly, is living a certain way, which is not bad, but he, but he believes in this argument. He believes in the way that he's established his life and how it's supposed to look. Now, I want you to insert yourself into my story, and I'm not even going to tell you the details of the argument because it's not that big of a deal because that argument exists in all of our lives with all of our kids or with other people. We believe in a certain way of doing things or have a certain way in which we do things, and then somebody comes along, either they have authority or they don't have authority, and they interrupt it. And they say, that's not the way in which we do that. Or that is not how we're going to do it anymore. And so as a parent, you're acutely aware of that particular issue. We're always correcting and rebuking and, and helping our kids to continue to like work this path that we kind of see works. So put that in your mind. And that's why I really like this, this particular set of scriptures these three or four verses here, because Jesus, in this particular passage, in Luke 16, starting with verse 14, is drawing a beautiful line in the sand. We've been talking about the kingdom of God. We've talked about about Jesus shaping the language and the dialogue, and, and this kingdom that he says, I'm now here, the kingdom of God has arrived. And so we've, we've had this theme, that's our missions theme, that we're going to have missions conference at the end of March. We have this theme that awaken to the kingdom reality, that the kingdom of God is here, and Jesus is proclaiming that over and over and over again. Sidebar. 
I realized this week, and now you're going to be acutely aware of this, is I say, when I preach or talk, over and over and over again, a lot. It's okay to remind me to not say that. Because I do. I just said it again and I caught myself. So I'm going to try really hard not to say over and over and over again, again. Now, why is that important? When you repeat the same things, the people have a tendency to tune you out. When you, when you speak the same way, repeatedly, the people have a, a tendency to tune you out. So Jesus used the phrase and talked about the kingdom of God regularly. It, in fact, in fact, it's the thing that he talked the most about, the kingdom of God. He said that phrase more than any other phrase. He referenced the kingdom of God more than anything else. But what he did was brilliant in the keeping a captive audience. He continued to shape the idea of the kingdom of God ar- arriving here on the planet through him with different parables and different styles and different things that just kind of poked the Pharisees. Different things that interrupted the conversation. Like Caleb and I's conversation, our argument. Caleb wanted to live a certain way. I say, no, we're not living that way. I have repeated the things that I've said to Caleb. Buddy, therapy, I'm sorry. When you're 20, you can go to therapy and say, my dad talks about me a lot. But it's so, it's so, we do this in all of our human relationships, especially those who are like a boss to a kid or a boss to an employee or like that, that authority down. The boss says the same thing a lot. And eventually the kids tune them out or the employee tunes them out. And so it's our job as leaders to interrupt, and Jesus did that. He continually interrupted the conversation by framing the kingdom of God from a different perspective. At first, it was about the parables of the lost things, the lost sheep, the lost coin, the, the prodigal son. And then he goes to the shrewd manager or the dishonest manager, he be, he, but he's still talking about the kingdom of God. And so what's really fascinating to me is when you have Luke writing this parable, he's saying, what, what are we trying to have people read as they continue to read this for the next 1,000, 2,000 years. What is Luke trying to accomplish when he says these things? And so the value of God doesn't change. The message of Jesus hasn't changed. The authoritative words that he's giving are not different. He is just shaping it so that the audience continues to engage with what he's trying to teach. That's how he'll want you to look into this. But he draws a line in the sand and says, we're not doing it anymore. So God's values in this particular section, which I'm going to read here in a minute, Luke 16, 14 through 17, says that we don't serve money or worship money at all. We don't worship self. We're urged, Jesus is urging us to enter into the kingdom of God in a way that it removes self 
from the conversation. A way that removes our own ambition from the conversation. A way that removes our own distractions and our things that we want and crave of this world. In order to be part of the kingdom of God fully, you have to shed some of this stuff. It is to that question that he gives in the dishonest manager that we are asked to respond to him. Even in the difficult areas of our lives, and this particular section in Luke is referenced in the Sermon on the Mount. They kind of go together. They correlate with one another. Matthew is giving the Sermon on the Mount. Luke is using the teachings from the Sermon on the Mount to, to place them in here because Jesus is attacking all kinds of areas of our life, the passionate areas of our life, the financial peace. And he goes on at the end here and talks about marriage and divorce and relationships. And that to be a kingdom minded person, to live in the kingdom of God, you have to live by the way in which the kingdom rules are established. So that's what we've been exploring. Let me read, let me read this section for you. Very, it's just a few verses. Luke 16, starting at verse 14. The Pharisees, who were lovers of money, heard all of these things. He's just coming off the dishonest manager's story. And they ridiculed him. And he said to them, You are those who justify yourselves before men, but God knows your heart. For what is exalted among men is an abomination in the sight of God. The law of the prophets were until John. And then here's where he's drawing a line in the sand. He says, since then, the good news of the kingdom of God is preached. And everyone forces his way into it. But it is easier... For heaven and earth to pass away than for one dot of the law to become void. Now think of this from a simple perspective, not a high theological idea. Well, let's go simple first and then we're going to expand a little bit. Simply what Jesus is saying is you love money, you love self, you promote self. Pharisees, the leaders of the church, the leader of Israel, the leader of our people, you are actually saying self first. The things I want first, and then the kingdom. And God is interrupting that and saying, no, 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 no. Since, the, since John the Baptist arrived, it's a new message. It's a new way to look at it. All right. So that's a, a, like a flyby overview. Maybe not super articulate, but let's get into it. The kingdom of God is created and sustained by God and his attributes. So we're going to try to go up a little bit and say God created the kingdom. He created the kingdom in which we are to live and operate in. in. And he brings Jesus to earth to establish that kingdom here on earth by which we are to follow in. Okay, so one of the best ways, I think, for us to think about the kingdom of God in a large perspective is to actually look at God and say, what are the values, what are the values you bring to the kingdom? So I have four God is statements that help establish his kingdom, not only on earth, but in our hearts. Now, it's just four that I chose. There are a lot more. These are four that I chose. God is omniscient. The Bible is constantly revealing how big, how wise, how powerful, how awesome God is. 
In this text, when Jesus is, is finalizing this, these phrases, this, this teaching to the Pharisees, he says this, You are those, verse 15, who justify yourselves before men, but God knows the heart. Turn with me to Psalm 139. Psalm 139 is very famous. Psalm 139. Listen to the words. O Lord, you have searched me and you know me. You know when I sit down and when I rise up, you discern my thoughts from afar. You search out my path and my lying down and are acquainted with all of my ways. Even before a word is on my tongue, behold, O Lord, you know it all together. You hem me in behind and before and lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high and I cannot attain it. Where shall I go from your spirit? Or where shall I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me, and your right hand shall hold me. If I say, surely the darkness shall cover me, and the light about me be be night, even the darkness is not dark to you. The night is bright as the day, for darkness is as light with you. For you formed me, formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. The omniscient characteristic or attribute of God is, has created and sustained his kingdom as he's bringing it to earth. God knows your heart, Jesus says to the Pharisees. He knows what you're about. Remember what the psalmist said. He knows you. You cannot run from Him. He knows you. That attribute of God knowing all things, and before you even speak it, is a a characteristic within the kingdom of God in which we get to live. We get to live freely in that kingdom. We have complete freedom because we don't hide things from the Lord. He sees it all. He watches it all. He knows it all. So his attribute of omniscience, which is a huge theological idea, and we're gonna, I'm going to try to help explore that a little bit as a church. This week, I'll send some stuff out about what we, when we say omniscient, what are we saying? But God is omniscient. He is all-powerful. He knows, and that's even just a little bit different than omniscient. He knows all. See, David takes the theology of omniscience, right, from the top shelf, from the thing that's hard to reach, and he brings it down to a personal level. He says, you know my soul. You know who I am. It's not theological or philosophical anymore. It's to be known by God. See, the reason I argue with my son is because I know him. And I know what he's thinking. And I know how he feels. And I know what it's like to be a 14-year-old junior higher. It stinks. It's awful. It's horrible. And people are stupid. And so are 14-year-old junior high boys. But I know him. And so I have authority into his life. And I can say, I know your heart. I know your soul. And this is the path in which I want you to live. This is the kingdom that we've created. The Faisal kingdom. And we're going to abide by these rules. God knows every thought, word, and deed. There's no hiding. He knows the heart. God is statement. 
Fun word. God is immutable. God does not change. Immutable. When you say that God doesn't change, what we're saying and what we believe is that God is free, has complete freedom to operate within his kingdom. He exists outside of time. He exists outside of our understanding. He is one unchanging moment. He's free from the development of human history. See, we all are mortal, and we experience change. We experience age. We experience sickness. We experience life that ends. He doesn't change. Why is this important? Let's look back at our text, Luke 16. When Jesus draws this line in the sand and says, this is what the kingdom's going to be about, this is what the kingdom looks like, the Pharisees are going, whoa, 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 but this is how we do it. And Jesus, being Jesus, understands what they're wrestling with. You're changing the law. You're changing what God established. And Jesus responds to them. What does he say? Verse 16, the law and the prophets were until now. Since the good news of the kingdom of God is preached and everyone forces his way into it. But it is easier for heaven and earth to pass away than from one dot of the law to become what? Void. God doesn't change. The law doesn't lose anything. Jesus is declaring there has been a transformation of the heart of the follower of Yahweh. In order to be a part of the kingdom of God, you have to follow me. But it's not just following the law. It's complete life transformation to where the whole heart belongs to the Lord. To be a part of the kingdom of God, you will be transformed by living in this covenantal community. God doesn't change. He established and fulfilled his law through Jesus Christ. Turn with me to Jeremiah chapter 31. We're moving around today. Jeremiah 31. Jeremiah 31, 31 through 34. I'm going to do something I do every week now. I feel like, hey, John, Weeby, you want to come read this for me? Come on up here. Are you going to read it in Hebrew? All right. Well, I guess we'll take, I guess we'll take your words then. Okay. Where are we at? Jeremiah 31, 31 through 34. Okay, I got to get to where I can read. Behold, days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. Not like the covenant which I made with their fathers in the day I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt. My covenant, which they broke, although I was a husband to them, declares the Lord. But this is the covenant which I will make with the house of Israel in those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them. On their heart I will write it. And I will be their God, and they shall be my people. They will not teach again each man his neighbor and each man his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they will all know me, from the least of them to the greatest of them, declares the Lord. 
For I will forgive their iniquity and their sin I will remember no more. It's a beautiful passage. This passage in Jeremiah is then referenced again by the writer of Hebrews saying the same thing. And what's it telling us? That the, that the law, the new covenant is coming. And I will forgive my people and they will abide by me and their heart will be transformed. See, God's law... God's law and what Jesus is doing here when he draws this line in the sand and says, I know you, and God knows you, and knows your heart. He says, from this day forward, God's law will not just be this thing that we read, but it's going to become inner principles that enable people to delight in doing his will. See, following and being transformed from the inside out actually gives us complete freedom to live in the kingdom. We think of rules as restriction. We think of rules as this way to control. We think of rules as this, as this thing that inhibits our ability to live, but it's the exact opposite. The law actually transforms us from the inside out to where we do the will of the Lord because our will is transformed. God and his people will have an intimate fellowship, an open dialogue, a clear conversation to where he can continually speak and know in their lives and can transform the way in which they live, living under this covenant relationship. And the sinful ways are are forgiven when his people surrender their lives and their heart to him. And they're removed forever. And that forgiveness in life in the kingdom is an everlasting reality that we get to experience as our inward heart is transformed. And we get to walk in his kingdom and live in his kingdom. See, if God changed, it would be really easy for him to say, nope, these rules, you know what, I'm going to give new rules. No, I'm going to give new rules. I'm going to give new rules. What could we have faith in if God continued to change and change the way in which We do things. It's not because of God that the people fall away. The people fell away because of them. They were sinful. They wanted their own thing. They wanted to live by their own desires and their own wants and their own needs and the things that they felt were the best for them. And this money passage in Luke 16 that we came off of and that Jesus is attacking again, what what the Pharisees believed is that God's love was reflected in their belongings. Not reflected in their relationship to him, but reflected in the stuff that they have. And we see clearly through Scripture that it's not about the content of our bank account or the the stuff in our driveway or the stuff in our garage where God shows his blessing, but it's, it's the joy and freedom in which we get to follow him daily. And he blesses us from the inside and changes our wants and changes our our desires and changes us to be more like Jesus. With the arrival of Jesus came the realization of all the prophets that the kingdom of God was not what they thought it was going to be. See, Jesus emphasized that his arrival fulfilled the kingdom, the law. It did not cancel it. This isn't a new system to live under, but a culmination of the old. The same God who worked through Moses is now working through Jesus. Jeremiah 31 again says, Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel, the house of Judah. 
See, the reason these God is statements and his attributes and reminding ourselves of these attributes is that there is an authority that's higher than our understanding. That we have to lean on the attributes of God to trust that God is, fill in the blank, and we can live with that. We can live in that. We can trust that. So God is holy. In the Luke 16 passage, we, that's our passage for the day, Jesus says it's an abomination. God detests sin. He hates sin. The scriptures are littered with God's holiness. We read and uh, we build hymns off of holiness. Holy, holy, holy. Isaiah 6 is holy, holy, holy. Forever and ever we will be singing holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. His attributes Holiness is a bedrock of it. That he detests sin. So his activity on the earth is motivated by the fact that sin can't be in his presence. So he sends Jesus to die a a sinner's death on a cross to satisfy, to reconcile, to give us hope that our iniquity and our sin will be cast out if we put our faith and trust in Him. So when we're awakened to this kingdom reality, we live in a way that where we trust in God's holiness because He has provided for us a way through the sin that we know plagues our heart, the sin that, that draws us into an ugliness. That video is so beautiful because it, it has that like dark heart. Our, our default setting is ugly. And we need a new heart like the prophet Ezekiel says. And Paul says that we'll be transformed by His Spirit to look more like Jesus from glory to glory. Holiness is who God is. And because of that, we can trust in His actions. So His words, when He draws the line in the sand and says, this is how we're going to live under this new covenant, we have to trust. He says in Leviticus and in 1 Peter, be holy for I am holy. I'll try to explore holiness this next week in some writings. Finally, the last God is statement is God is love. And we got a picture of that from the video, right? God is love. The Pharisees were lovers of money. They considered riches a measure of God's blessing or love for faithfully following the law. What do we know about love from God? God is love. 1 John 4, 7, and 8 says what? Beloved, let us love one another, for love comes from God. It's a paraphrase. Anyone who knows God loves God. God is love. People express love and expect love, but they are not loved or love because of their nature. The love of people changes and is limited. Love is something that people have, but not something that they are. If love is an absolute, then there must be some unchanging, unlimited love somewhere that is a source of all other love. All moral absolutes have a moral prescriber, a doctor, who says, this is the way it's supposed to be. And humans are not absolute. Since God is love, He can give love to all his creatures. We have love. We enjoy love. But we are not love. 
He is love. The nature of God, the attribute of God, God is love, is the source of all love and is reflected in the men that he has made in his image. We are image bearers. We could add multiple attributes of God to this kind of overview. But Jesus is, once again, I'm saying the phrase again, drawing the line in the sand and saying you can trust that this kingdom reality that you're going to be living in is built and sustained by God's attributes. His all-knowing, the fact that he knows your heart. The fact that God doesn't change and we can't change him. Any changes that happen are just by mere mortals. And God does not change. He is immutable. God is holy and his actions that he gives to this earth are in it. are to destroy sin so that we can live and be in his presence. And God is love. All right, so what's our next steps? I have some blanks for you. I believe, and here's a statement, I believe I can live with confidence. I believe that I can live with confidence that the kingdom of God cannot be shaken. I believe I can live with confidence that the kingdom of God cannot be shaken. The kingdom of God is created and sustained by God and His attributes. It's not in God's nature, it's not in His nature to fall apart. It's not in His nature to fall apart. He doesn't fail. God has been God for a very long time. He knows what He's doing. He's been God forever. And what happens here is the Pharisees and us as people, put yourself in the story, which I don't like to do all the time, we try to change the rules of the kingdom and live by our own rules and our own authority and our own God ways of doing things. You're not God. I'm not God. We get to participate in his kingdom because he's invited us to. And he's provided a way. And we get to respond to that way by having our insides transformed into the likeness of his son Jesus. The spirit of God descending upon us so that we are new. We're a new creation. We've been regenerate. We're in alignment. And we can live out as a witness to him on the earth. Not for our own benefit and our own glory and our own wants and our own riches and our own garages filled with stuff. But to live in a way that we can draw, draw people into a relationship with him. You can live with confidence that God is on the throne, that this kingdom that we live in, the kingdom of God that we talk about, is formed and shaped and sustained by his attributes, his holiness, his love, his omniscience, his immutability, his sovereignty, all of there's seven of big ones, really, all of them, we can live in that way to where we live with authority and power and we live in belief that he is on the throne and he's not falling off anytime soon. So as garbage as this world can get, as hard as eighth grade, junior high can be, God is still on the throne, regardless of your life. And I know that 14 and 44 
are a long ways apart. But I know as I look around this room, there are people dealing with garbage and pain and suffering. We just had one of our members fall and, and break their tailbone and wrist. There's chaos in our life, but God is still on the throne. And it doesn't diminish our hurts. It actually aligns it into his kingdom so that we can live with confidence. Live with confidence. Hebrews 12, 25 to 29 says this. See that you do not refuse him who is speaking. For if they did not escape when they refused him who warned them on earth, much less will we escape if we reject him who warns from heaven. At that time his voice shook the earth. But now he has promised, yet once more I will shake not only the earth, but also the heavens. This phrase, yet once more, indicates the removal of things that are shaken. That is, the things that have been made. In order that the things that cannot be shaken may remain. Therefore, let us, great, let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. And thus, let us Offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe. For our God is a what? A consuming fire. We live in the reality, awakened to a kingdom that will never be shaken. Ever. And Jesus is saying, you get to make this choice now. Since John arrived here, the kingdom is different. I'm fulfilling the law. I'm fulfilling the kingdom. Come with me. We are moving forward and advancing this kingdom here on earth. And there's a new way in which we live. It doesn't mean the old way is gone. It just means there's a new way. I fulfilled the old way. Love me. And let me prove to you that I love you. And then he goes to the cross and dies. It's a wild, wild ride that we're on right now. I believe I can live with confidence that the kingdom of God cannot be shaken if we are to live that way. If we were to live that way, how would we express that to people we run into and talk to and live with and share with? And I say by God's attributes, last phrase, by God's attributes, we can trust that this is a kingdom that will not be shaken because he's been God a very long time. 